You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Thank you, Lord. Okay, so uh, where am I? Anyway, I just don't want us to stop at Jesus did the work on the cross so we don't have to. So we don't earn our salvation by doing what Jesus tells us to do. Our goodness can't save us. We can't ever force God to answer our prayers by checking off all the things on our list. Um, But when we have an existing relationship with the Lord, this sermon on the Mount shows us how exactly he does invite us into deeper relationship with him. So we have to start with the relationship before we get to the law. Um, So here's a roadmap of where we're going. Put this in my pocket. I'm just pulling out, I've, uh, Leslie has printed this out for us. I printed out the whole sermon, Matthew 5 through 7. We're just going to pull out a couple of passages. We're not going to look at the whole thing. Um, but I want us to just see a couple things about the goodness of God's law. And I want us to keep these sort of three questions in mind as we look at each of these passages. So first, what's sort of our gut, like knee-jerk reaction when we read this at first glance? How does it make us feel? Often it's going to make us cringe. And then the second thing I want us to look at is, wait a minute, if we remember that we're in relationship with the God of the universe, and he's calling us into deeper fellowship with him, how does that perspective change our reading of the Sermon on the Mount? And then finally, how does this passage actually invite us into true flourishing and fellowship, uh, human thriving? That's what we're going for here. So gut feeling, partnership, relationship, and then human flourishing. So the first passage, if y'all have your Bibles or your handout, uh, let's look at verse 17 of chapter 5. So right here on the bottom of this page, I'm going to read 17 through 20. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. All right, so what's our gut feeling reading this? Or at the very least, what do you think the people reading, hearing this for the first time would have thought? Especially that last verse, surpassing the righteousness of the Pharisees? Are you kidding me? What about the fact that Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it? What does all of this mean? But wait, before we panic, let's remember that we are united in Christ, and he's drawing us in a deeper relationship with him. And so really quickly, what does it mean that Jesus fulfills the law and how might we benefit from this work of the Holy Spirit in our lives? So we think fulfill means complete in the spirit of checklists and chores. When you fulfill one, you're crossing it off the list, but that's not what Jesus is talking about here. When he's talking about fulfilling the law and the prophets, he's really talking more about um, what it means that he's at the center of all of it. Uh, This fulfill word is sort of like if you fill something up right to the brim, there's like that satisfaction feeling. It's almost like a dome on the top. Like that is the word fulfill that's being used here. And instead of a checklist, the law and the prophets really refers more to the roadmap 
that governs our relationship with God. So the roadmap actually leads to a person, Jesus. So in this sense, the law is not like a courtroom sort of scenario, uh, judge, policeman, that, not that kind of law. It's really more like um, the Jesus Storybook Bible that Sally Lloyd-Jones has written, where it talks about how the Bible is one big story that tells about the God who came to rescue his people and that every story whispers his name. So that's what Jesus is talking about when he says he's come to fulfill the law and prophets. Excuse me, prophets. And then our gut reaction to the call uh, to be more righteous than the Pharisees. We need to look at what that righteousness means first. Uh, and in Matthew's gospel, he's helpful because he's only used it twice before this. The first time he talks about righteousness, he's describing a man named Joseph. And it says, Joseph was a righteous man who, when hearing about Mary, sought to divorce her quietly. Which is so interesting because when we think of like righteousness of Pharisees, they would have been all over that, you know, wanting to shame and point fingers. But the Bible tells us that Joseph's righteousness was actually to show mercy and kindness and gentleness towards this woman that had done him a wrong from his perspective. And so that's the first time. And then the next time we see it is in chapter 3 of Matthew when John the Baptist doesn't want to baptize Jesus. And Jesus says, this has to happen so that righteousness may be fulfilled. There's that fulfill word again. And so what we see from these two instances is that a working definition of righteousness, and this is not mine, this is from a very smart theologian, is that righteousness is a whole being, um, it's whole body behavior that's in line with God's nature, his mercy, his kindness, his nature, his will, and uh, his kingdom. And so that's what I want us to work with. I want us to keep that in the back of our mind. Um, it's whole person behavior that is in accordance with, agreement with God's nature, his will, and his kingdom. And so another way of, of saying that, I think, is that Jesus calls us into beauty, not duty. Um, that's what it means to flourish, is this whole person righteousness. Um, and so we said that righteousness is, is whole person, and the Pharisees, by contrast, really focused on the outside. And we know that the Lord looks at the heart. This is not new to the New Testament. We see that in the Old Testament as well. And so I want us to think of verse 20 as sort of a thesis statement for this next section of the Sermon on the Mount. So be righteous more so than the Pharisees. What Jesus is saying is, it is not enough to be righteous on the outside. It has to be your whole being. And it has to be parallel to what God has taught us righteousness actually means. And so with that in mind, uh, everyone probably listening would have been like, yeah, so what does that look like? And Jesus offers us some examples of what this true whole person righteousness looks like. Um, and, and what Jesus is saying, we're going to look at this next section, is here's what it means to have greater righteousness than the Pharisees. So the second passage that we're going to look at is um, just 21 through 26. So right after. Anger. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. 
But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. So these next, uh, I've left the headings in there. The next few sections are all sort of like, you've heard it said, but I say to you. And uh, what Jesus is not doing is he's not upping the ante and saying, oh, I'm going to make the law even more intense now. So it's even harder for you to follow so that you realize even more your need for a savior. He's not increasing the law. He's not adding to the weight. He's not trying to trip us up. And then on the other hand, he's also not saying, this is kind of obvious, but like, hey, murder was bad in the Old Testament, but now it's fine. Just don't be mad at people. So it's these two extremes and that a lot of people might want to go to. Uh, and that's not the case for, for not only this anger section, but for lust, divorce, oaths, etc. Instead, what he's doing is he's actually fulfilling the law by bringing out the truest sense of it. Remember that image of filling to the brim. He's sort of revealing what it really means. So he's taking this law that we all know pretty well, don't murder, and he's peeling it back. And he's showing why God gave this to us in the first place. Jesus cares, God cares, about the inner disposition of murderers. So this reminds us oh yeah, we have a relationship with God. He cares about a relationship with us. And so Jesus is wanting us to ask, <clears throat> what is in my heart right now that could lead to murder? Um, a great illustration of this, I don't know if y'all remember that show Bloodline that was super popular on Netflix a few years ago, but the whole premise, the first scene is of this like upstanding, like perfect uh, adult older brother um, hiding the body of his younger brother who is like a drug addict and like brings the family down or whatever, the black sheep. But the whole series is sort of asking this question of how in the world did this like really put together proper older brother end up killing the younger brother? Like that doesn't really make sense. And so the whole show is sort of answering how did it get that bad that it led to murder? And, um, I think Jesus, with all the love and kindness in the world, is, is looking at us when he's saying this, and he's saying, hey, if you've got anger in your heart, that's a fatal condition. Like, that's not, that's not good. It's not going to end up with flourishing. It's the opposite. Um, and he wants us to do something about it. Um, and I think it's important that we realize he's not adding more on our plate for us to do. He's not saying, okay, don't murder, and then also make sure you're never angry at someone. Like, it's not just this burden he's placing on us, but he's trying to free us by telling us to forgive. Um, and, and I think we really see in this section of the Sermon on the Mount especially that Jesus desires our, our healing and our wholeness. 
Uh, he wants the deepest possible peace for us, and that's why he asks us to do hard things. Uh, I actually preached that passage during uh, our sermon series, and I realized I'm a really angry person. Um, it was not a great week for me leading up to the sermon, uh, just because the Lord, as he often does, brought up some resentments and some anger issues in my own heart. And I know I wasn't alone because after my sermon, uh, I had someone call me and tell me, uh, I can't stop thinking about your sermon because I really like my anger because my anger protects me and it's more comfortable and uh, it's easier. I really appreciated her honesty uh, because forgiveness is hard. That's what Jesus is calling it. That's the, the stuff he tells us to do from this passage is to forgive people that have wronged us. And that, I mean, that, that is hard. Um, and I think that at a certain point, and this is sort of where what Calvin was talking about with thinking about it as grace, is we have to remember that if we have a relationship with Jesus first, then he does give us his spirit who gives us the power to do this. Because I think we all know that on our own, we cannot forgive the way that Jesus is asking us to. Um, and, and then we realize that true healing isn't just behavior modification. It's not external. It has to be a heart transformation. Inside out righteousness, whole person behavior. To show mercy, to live in alignment with God's nature, with his will, with his kingdom, to partner with God is, is to say, Lord, I, I want to see the beauty in forgiving um, someone who's really wronged me. And I, I want to look more like you, Jesus, when I serve this person. I want to be beautiful like you're beautiful. And it's not easy. And it may feel like a burden at times. Um, and, and this is really hard, it's not going to be like a one-and-done thing. Like the Spirit empowers us once, and then we're like good to go for the rest of our lives. It's sort of this repetitive asking for help. Um, but with part, in partnership with God and his spirit, and because of our union with Christ, doing these things that Jesus asks us to do leads to our flourishing. And we're not going to look at these passages, but if you've got your packet, I mean, the next few sections really mirror this anger one we talked about. Lust, divorce, oaths. Whew, I'm getting out of breath, sorry. Retaliation, love your enemies. Uh, all of that that Jesus is talking about is uh, these examples of what it means to have greater righteousness than even the Pharisees, because it's always dealing with the heart, not just the external behaviors. Um, at the end of this section, in verse 48, uh, we end with a summary statement that sort of makes us think back to verse 20. Remember I said verse 20 is like our thesis statement. Uh, be more righteous than the Pharisees. And verse 48 reminds us of that. It bookends this section. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So, now that we remember we're doing the, the gut reaction, uh, and then the remembering, wait, we have a relationship with Jesus, uh, and this is actually going to lead to our flourishing. So, does the statement, now with that in mind, crush us with the impossibility of it? Or can we actually see this as a beautiful invitation? Um, and we don't have to get into this too much, but the word perfect, again, uh, is not a super great translation. 
just because what it means for us in our modern culture. We loathe perfectionism. I mean, we all are trying to be it, but we're, you know, we say out loud, like, we don't want to be perfectionists. We want to move away from this. Uh, we want to move away from perfection. Grace, not perfection. That's sort of what our culture says, and it, that, that's a great sentiment because perfection makes us cringe. But this word perfection uh, is really actually, for the New Testament, uh, a better translation of, of shalom, which is that word that means uh, peace, but a sort of wholeness, a peace that uh, is very complete, like your whole, everything is just sort of whole and as it was supposed to be. So, you know, perfect doesn't really quite capture it. It kind of falls short. And I think that's pretty cool, that wholeness, because that's what our definition of righteousness was, this whole being. And so we've got this word righteous and we've got this word perfect. And in our 2021, like, language bank, we don't like those words. But when we think about it as wholeness, okay, hold on, maybe I could... Maybe I'm drawn to this instead of repelled by it. So, if I can paraphrase this entire section that we just talked about, Jesus tells us to engage your whole person in behavior that looks like God's character and nature. Do this because God is inviting us into shalom, peace, wholeness, not just in our lives and our beings, but in our church, in our world. So this is good news. The final passage that we're going to look at is, uh, let me find my packet. We're going to skip ahead to, there's so many good things, but we're going to skip ahead to uh, verse 21. Um, this is the end, yeah, last page. This is the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He's drawing As he's drawing to a close, what Jesus is doing here is he's offering... Uh, three final warnings. So verse 13, enter, enter the narrow gate. So narrow gate, harder but good. Wide gate, way easier, not good. Uh, that's the first warning. And then tree and its fruit, beware of false prophets. Uh, because, you know, tree that bears good fruit, good. Tree that bears bad fruit, bad. So a second warning. And so then we get to this third and final warning which is another fun passage that really stirs up some fearful gut reactions. Um, so let's read just verses 21 through 23 together. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So we read this passage, and we get that maybe initial gut reaction. Fear, maybe, suspicion, like have we been set up for failure this whole time? Uh, I'm trying to do stuff for Jesus. Is he really just trapping me? Like, do I ever even, like, how do I know when I get to the end? That kind of stuff might be floating around in our heads. Um, but I really, and this actually just stuck out to me reading, I've read this a million times, but just reading it now, the one who does the will of my father in heaven. So remember righteousness is, um, whole being and not just on the outside. So what Jesus is describing here is a person who is really, really doing great things on the outside. Um, 
but it's not the will of the Father, which should remind us of, of the heart. And so um, this is actually a picture of pharisaical righteousness, not the greater than the Pharisees righteousness that we're going for. And so with this, what we're seeing is a picture of someone who works against God, uh, seeing God really more as a challenge or a threat. Uh, Look what I did for you. You owe me. But remember that we have a relationship, which is a partnership. And so this passage is a warning, but I think it's really an invitation. Because Jesus here is, what he's saying is, um, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden with demon casting outing and prophesying and doing things for me but really you're doing them for yourself Uh, jesus is saying i and i will give you rest because you won't be your own savior you're not seeing me as your partner but jesus is saying you see me as your enemy and really your biggest competitor because if Jesus is in our, if we think we're our own savior, then Jesus definitely can't be that. And right after this is the final sort of closing image, imitation, if you will, the choice that we really have before us, build your house on the rock, uh, on a solid rock, not on sand. Um, and this is, this is really the choice that we have before us. It's, it's, Jesus tells us to do stuff, and it matters. Um, but we see here it really is a matter between life and death, how we do it, and how we respond to that invitation. Because all of it is an invitation to flourish. And, and what's the opposite of flourishing? And that's sort of what he's putting before us here, is a solid rock or sinking sand. And it is, it is a choice that's in front of us because it's an invitation. It's all confusing, free will and stuff. But to live a life that's restful and at peace and beautiful, even though the world is storming all around us. So as we kind of draw our time to, together as a close, I really do want us to consider how we're, how we're actually living Uh, today and don't think about your neighbor or your mom or your sister Uh, but think about you which which comes first for you the relationship or the checklist and if it's the checklist which I I, want to encourage you that's probably all of us even those of us who are in Christ it's okay but repent from that Like right now, in your heart, ask God to forgive you and help you turn from living that way. And the good news is, is, well, I don't know if this is good news or not because it gets really frustrating, but our whole life is one of repentance, is one of, of asking for God to help us turn every second. So you might walk out of here not living by the checklist and going with the relationship. And then tonight, you know, when your kids get home from school, we go back to the checklist Uh, And I want you to imagine Jesus really saying to you, come to me because you're weary and weighed down with to-do lists. Let me give you rest by inviting you into the deepest peace and shalom you'll ever know. You will be beautiful because I am beauty and you will be whole because I am whole. I haven't talked about the cross yet uh, because when Jesus first preached the sermon, 
the people listening didn't hear, didn't have the cross. They didn't know that was what was coming. But Matthew did when he was going back and writing it. Um, and I think it's important that we realize that Jesus did fulfill the will of his father by being obedient to death on a cross. And, and now, because of, of what he did, our entrance to the kingdom of heaven is not dependent on our righteousness. It's dependent on his righteousness, his whole being that was in accordance with God's nature, with God's will, with God's kingdom. Uh, and ultimately, this frees us to partner with him in his redeeming work. So we don't have to see him as an adversary or as a competitor. And, and we might not use these terms actively, but that's what we're doing when we're trying to say, hey God, my life's falling apart and you're not answering my prayers. And I go to church every Sunday and I blah, 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 blah. Like, cause that's what, what happens. Um, my mother-in-law's a pastor as well. And she always says that, you know, when we're grieving, but I think this is really just all of Christian life. We're asking the question, is God good and can we trust him? And I think we have to answer those questions first and then we can read the Sermon on the Mount and it can give us life. Because once we acknowledge who God is, what he's done for us, then we have the chance to respond and it's good news that Jesus tells us to do stuff because what he's doing is he is, he is giving us sort of the secret of how life should be best lived. So I hope that this brings you guys a message of rest, even though uh, he is telling us to do stuff. So thanks be to God. Oh, I guess we got time for questions. I don't know. I don't. Yeah. Oh, there's a clock. Okay. Uh, does anyone have any questions or things that stuck out to you? Things you want to talk about more? I have some questions if y'all don't. So that's good. <laughs> Yeah, I love that. And I actually thought about Proverbs 31 when I was prepping. And then also that passage, I can't remember if it's in one of the Timothys or one of the Thessalonians. But when it talks about, you know, a woman whose beauty is not based on outward adornments, but what's on the inside of her heart. I think that's what we're really looking for when we look for beauty in this world is, is do we reflect the beauty of God um, in that whole person righteousness? And I, I mean, I felt this way when I was studying for it, and I hope y'all did too, reading these words, but I'm like, that's the type of person I want to be. That's the beauty that we're drawn to. Um, and I, I think that's absolutely right. We see that in Proverbs 31 for sure. Yes. No, 
No, I mean, I think I think that's like the real tension, and that's why this passage is so hard and so. I guess scary is the word because when we read it, it's it's like. Ugh. Yeah, yeah, we like the checklist. It's so much easier. It's it's much better. I, I really do think it just kind of. Um, I think it really has to be read in light of of the whole Sermon on the Mount where Jesus really is sort of highlighting the difference between the outwardness, the outward behaviors of the Pharisees and the inward disposition. I mean, we didn't get into this, but think about the Beatitudes is how he starts this whole thing off. And it's what type of person um, actually inherits God's blessings. And it's just not who we would think. And so I think you have to see the tension between, um, like that really is Jesus's focus, sort of hypocrisy, right? That was really what he was going after with a lot of this, is like what's going on in the outside truly does not matter unless the inside is clean as well. And I, I think it's Matthew's gospel that does the whole uh, brood of vipers, white whitewashed tombs. You know, you're beautiful on the outside, but decaying on the inside. And I think that's sort of a theme that Matthew specifically is trying to hit. So I, I would really say that, it, and, and, you know, it's hard to know, like, how, are, how do we know that we're doing the will of the Father? And that's where the grace comes in, and that's where the Holy Spirit comes in, um, and just the relationship, you know, when you're communicating with God more often. Um, it's hard to know, like, if we'll ever actually have that pat on the back, we know we're doing good, we are in line with God's will in this lifetime, and that can be really scary. And so um, that's where we have to rely on, on faith. Yeah, great question. Yes? Speaking of checklists, um, I take it you're a working mom. <laughs> Most deaf. A lot of going, we run it all the time as well. Um, and I was, we didn't talk about it, but it's um, 25, so do not be anxious. Mm. Oh, totally. I, and then that's, that's, yeah, we, we really need grace in that aspect. I think the do not anxious passage is so great. Um, one time in college when I was like really struggling with like true anxiety, I had a friend send me this passage. And that's like not helpful to anyone ever, ever. And, but I think it's, I think it's helpful to see, are we treating this passage as a checklist? Are we treating do not be anxious as a checklist? Um, like, you know, Philippians has a lot about being joyful and suffering. So are we like, oh, I have to be joyful even though I'm suffering? Like, that's never what God's after. Uh, and that's where you have to go back. Okay, he's after the heart. Um, this isn't really in the Sermon on the Mount specifically, but in terms of being uh, like a totally like exhausted, push the limits mom or whatever else, I think we all feel that way, is just really remembering that our God values weakness over strength. And so um, we see that theme throughout all of scripture. 
Luke's gospel does a great job of pointing that out as well, like the power imbalance being shifted in ways that don't make sense to us. And so for me, at least, you know, I do not always uh, take care of my daughter the way that I probably should. Like, that's kind of a scary thought. Um, but being able to, again, just sort of admit my weakness before the Lord um, and, and to ask for forgiveness from her when she's able to understand it. I think that those two things are really what God values in parenting specifically. Um, I mean, I'm 17 months into parenting, so y'all can take my advice at will. But I think that what you're kind of getting after is is really just remembering that our God values weakness over strength. And that's not what anyone else will tell you to do. And that's not what your instinct will tell you to do. So just trying to balance that as well. It's hard. I don't know if I answered your question. Yes. Okay, I'm not asking for a checklist, but do you have any favorite practices mm-hmm. for enriching this relationship mm-hmm. with the Lord? That's a great question. The thing that's been, um, this idea of everyday repentance has really been hitting me hard recently. Like it's pretty new to my life. It, realizing that, that that's okay. I, I was listening to a Tim Keller sermon and he said, the Christians that repent the most often feel the furthest from God, but are actually getting closer every day. And the Christians that don't repent at all feel like they're actually doing okay. And they're not. And when I sort of realized that, one of the things that I've started doing, I have one of my best friends and I um, really just check in with each other and like speak out loud the things that we need to repent from every day. I check in with my husband at the end of the day sometimes and I'm just like, gosh, and just sort of trying to, to do that throughout the day. And it's awful. I said to Court last weekend, I was talking about something and I was like, it doesn't feel like I'm giving God glory when I speak out loud the things that I'm asking for him to forgive me for. But that's what we're doing is, uh, is like Satan really hates it when we repent and God really loves it, but it feels so weird to do. So I would say I'm really on this repentance kick recently of just um, throughout the day. And, you know, maybe you keep a journal, journal at the end of the day, journal in the morning, but just really speaking those things out loud. There's such power in confession. So I guess what I'm telling you is the spiritual discipline of confession is something I'm leaning into. Um, I'd really encourage you to, it's hard to do, but to have a friend that you do tell things to. Um, I think Tish Warren was here a few weeks ago for the Rooted Conference and I was here and she just sort of offhandedly said like, there's really like nothing in your life that no one should know about. Does that make sense? And that's not great for us that like to be perfectionists. Um, and so with that in mind, that's, that's sort of what I would say is there, I could tell you to read, read your Bible and pray every day. I don't do that. So I'm, I'm not a really good example of that. I, I want to be, I long to be asked for the Spirit's help, but, uh, I think that most practically recently, confession has been very powerful. Um, any other questions? Final call? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. Yeah. I think that's true. I, I mean, that's, isn't it like the greatest lie Satan ever told? I mean, there's a million, but uh, is that we'll be able to do it tomorrow or worry about it tomorrow. And I mean, I think that's sort of what the do not be anxious passage is saying. It's just 
let the, like focus today. Yeah, yeah. And it's 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 good to remember that we're human. Awesome. I don't know if my email's anywhere, but y'all feel free to reach out. South Highland Press. You can find it on the website. Our website's not great right now, but we're working on it. So feel free to reach out. Always love to talk more about this. And I'm not an expert. I just, this is what I've been studying recently. So happy to share that with y'all. Thanks, guys. audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.